people from Trump world are deliberately trying to influence these witnesses and the way they interact with this committee, that there is crime in progress. That's what Liz Cheney said, that there, there were crimes then, there are crimes continuing, and we are aware of all of it. And so I strongly encourage you, as Benny Thompson always says, that to like walk through this open door to our committee if you do not want to be part of the the culmination of our work. This is Sarah Stewart Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. We're so glad you're here with us as we take a different approach to the news. Today, we're going to talk about the hearing conducted on Tuesday by the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. We will do that for the first two segments of the show, and then we always end by talking about what's on our minds outside of politics. We do not promise that segment will be particularly timely. So today... The first two are. No, the first first two are very timely. The the outside of politics segment that we're going to catch up on Succession Season 3 because (laughs) I just finished it. And it has felt surprisingly relevant Mm -hmm. as I've taken in the January 6th hearings. And what is timely about this is that this week they started filming Season 4 of Succession. So, you know, there's a hook. There's a hook. There we go. Now, before we get into this week's hearing, we want to thank all of you so much for the way you responded to and shared our episode about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. We know that this is a very sensitive time and that this topic impacts all of us in a deep, personal way. It means a lot to us that you let us be a part of your thinking and that you find our conversations valuable enough to share with the people in your lives. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. 
It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Sarah, on Monday, we found out that the January 6th committee was going to reconvene on Tuesday. So just, here we go. Can I tell you, so I'm watching Gaslit, the star show about the Watergate hearings. It features John Dean prominently. And so I guess John Dean's like front of mine, and he tweeted like, listen, if you're going to have a surprise hearing, it better be good. Like, the, the, the standard is so high when it's a surprise hearing. And so I was checking literally like hourly was like, was it good enough for John Dean? Was it good enough? It was. It was. He tweeted and was like, they exceeded the standard. This was this surprise hearing was amazing. I was like, okay, good. It's good enough for John Dean. That's what matters. I don't know why I was so obsessed with his reaction, but I was. That's funny. I'm not sure I love that posture. Like, it feels (laughs) a little consumerist to me, but whatever. It was a very captivating hearing. Any way you look at it. So a little bit before the hearing, we learned that the witness is going to be Cassidy Hutchinson, who is only 26 years old, but has done a lot with her time. So while she was in college, she interned with Ted Cruz and Steve Scalise and at the White House. After college, she went to the White House Legislative Affairs Office, and she became a very close aide to Mark Meadows. And the reporting on this has been interesting. Brendan Buck, who is a longtime aide to Paul Ryan, has commented to pretty much everyone, it seems like, (laughs) that Mark Meadows had her in every meeting. Like meetings where everyone else, it was just the principal, he insisted that she be in the room with him. And he said, it looks like that's not turning out too well for him right now. (laughs) But... So when Mark Meadows goes to the White House to be Trump's chief of staff, she became his top aide, and she was everywhere. And they opened the hearing with a a diagram of the Oval Office wing of the White House and and showed, like, her physical proximity to everything Mm -hmm. um, was intense. And so she just heard and saw a lot. Yeah, I thought the opening package that showed her with all these people and how, you know— essential she was and how just basically proving her her bona fides yeah she's not a rhino this is a new republicans republican mm-hmm. her only work experience has been during this trump era where she has been part of the the most influential decision making um, that has happened so that made her testimony particularly compelling. Sarah, I tried to make notes about her testimony more chronologically than it came across at the hearing. I found that part of the hearing a little difficult. They kept jumping around in time to make different points. So the first thing that jumped out at me when I was just thinking about the the chronology of it is that she she told us about Trump's temperament in a general way that wasn't surprising, but it was still poignant in the detail of it. Stephanie Grisham talks a lot about this in her book, just the way that he would scream at people. Now, she does not mention throwing 
objects at people, which is a new detail we got from Cassidy Hutchinson. That when the AP story ran that Bill Barr came out and said the Department of Justice found no evidence of election fraud, um, Donald Trump was furious and threw his lunch at Mark Meadows in the Oval Office dining room, which is right next to the Oval Office, and that this was not the first time that he had thrown plates at people. And to me, the only reason that it's sort of the jumping around time and that where they placed that temper is it helped me put together as we continue to learn from Cassidy Hutchinson that Mark Meadows was really like checked out, just checked out, very like scrolling his phone, not paying attention to the warnings when Pat Cipollone was like, we have to go talk to the president. We have to go talk to the president. His vibe was very much like, why? And I thought, well, of course he was like that. He was afraid something was going to get thrown at him. Like he was exposed to a lot of his temper and violence. I mean, it's not just temper when you're throwing things at people. And so to me, that part sort of made it helped me put that piece together. But yeah, I mean, it's not surprising in a way. And it also starts to make sense about why people, you know, reacted the way they did, tiptoed around him the way they did. Because, I mean, nobody wants to get screamed at. Nobody wants to get stuff thrown at them. Like, just I don't want to overstate the obvious here, but that is traumatic and, and just a terrible experience as a human to be screamed at. I think it begs the question that I always come back to when we're talking about Donald Trump and the people around him. With Mark Meadows, I cannot decide what percentage of him being so checked out, which I think is a good description based on her testimony and and the testimony of others, where he just, he knew what was unfolding, he knew what was going to unfold, and he did nothing. And how much of that is not wanting to deal with Trump's wrath? And how much of it is true believerism? How much Mm -hmm. did he just agree with Trump about this? I, I don't know. I can't tell, and I'm not sure it matters. How can you be a true believer when Trump's not a true believer? That's what I'm always like. Like, it's very obvious to anyone, I would think, that he's not a true believer. So is it just an ends justify the means? Or that's what that's always struggle. It's it's not like he is, you know, uh, a revival preacher where you're like in it and you believe that he believes the things like it's so obvious he doesn't believe the things. That's where I really struggle. And I think that's true. Like in any organization where you have a Trump like figure Watching people dance through their cognitive dissonance about that figure is a fascinating exercise because people do it in a lot of different ways. And I feel like that's got to be part of the Mark Meadows story. Like, how did he justify to himself all of these machinations to support this person who didn't even believe his own, you know, his own version of events half the time? But listen, this is why they organized it differently because we're several minutes in and we have buried the lead because the throwing the dishes were crazy, but that was not the historical part of this hearing. So we also learned that before January 6th, Meadows is meeting with Rudy Giuliani in the White House. Cassidy Hutchinson walks out with Rudy Giuliani. He asks her if she's like excited about the six. Meadows tells her things could get real, real bad. And I think what this established, if you're just looking at the broader, instead of thinking about this hearing as its own spectacle, which it was, if you're looking at the broader case this committee is building, this testimony makes it so clear that no one was surprised by what happened Mm -hmm. on January 6th, that they understood what they were dealing with, who was coming, what they were bringing with them, and what their intentions were. Yeah, because we... 
hear a lot of testimony, not just about the sort of discussions the day before, but lots of detail about the day of January 6th in the morning on the way to the ellipse, what happened at the ellipse at the rally. Um, specifically, backstage, we hear conversations that Donald Trump was furious that the crowd size wasn't what he wanted it to be. Back to that that old classic. Um, and when they expressed to him, well, there are lots and lots of armed people who do not want to pass through the metal detectors and have their weapons confiscated. He furiously demanded that they abandoned the metal detectors because the people were, quote, not here to hurt him. And they could follow him to the Capitol. And they had this really powerful moment where they share the Secret Service, like telling each other, okay, this guy in a tree has a gun. This guy in a tree has a gun. These people walking down independence have AR-15s. This person has a gun, like spotting the people in the crowd with all the weapons. And I just thought, how many times have they dealt with this? Well, we they won't pass through the metal detectors because too many of them have weapons. Um, it, it It felt to me like a very, like, they understood what was happening, and that's why the crowd wouldn't come in, because they dealt with it before, which is shocking in its own right. But to know that, it, you know, it puts everything he said at that rally in a whole new light when you understand that minutes before he was screaming about abandoning the metal detectors because so many people in the audience had weapons. 100%. This, to me, was the critical moment of her testimony for everything that might come after these hearings that he knew people were armed, that he verbalized that he didn't care that they were armed because they they were with him, Mm -hmm. and he didn't care what happened to anybody else. If you're thinking about whether he has some responsibility for what happened on January 6th, criminally or civilly, that to me is the line. And worth noting, she heard that with her own two ears. That was not passed Mm -hmm. along to her from someone else. She was in the tent and heard it herself. Well, and I was also very interested in the testimony where she said, at the, as it starts to escalate, the writers are getting closer. Mark Meadows is totally checked out. At one point, she tries to talk to him during the rally, goes to open the door to his vehicle, and he pulls it back closed on her. And I thought, who was he talking to that he didn't even want her to hear? He did it twice. And I, twice yeah, and I that. thought that Liz Cheney put that in those in with the information that Roger Stone had bodyguards and the Oath Keepers, I thought, oh, Liz, what else do you know? Where are you taking us? Where is this going? Because, and and to me, that's something I just want to say really quickly about her. I listen to all this reporting from from the New York Times and in lots of, you know, big news outlets who are just, you know, shocked and appalled. And I'm happy because that reporting gets people's attention. It was shocking. I heard uh, Commentators say, this wasn't a hearing, this was history, and I think that's accurate. But I thought, well, Liz Cheney, better than probably a lot of people, including most people in Congress, understands that what gets reported and that what people understand happens in the White House (laughs) is not the full story. So like with the rest of us, we're watching the video of that day. We think we understand. Well, of course, the daughter of Dick Cheney knows there's way, way more to the story. Even with all our transparency and visitor logs and call logs, like there's way, way more going on in the Oval Office and the offices surrounding the Oval Office during these historical moments that we have to get the bottom of. And and thank God that she <laughs> she understood that and had that instinct because that's what we're all putting together, right? Like we thought we got it. He stood up there and said, Let's go down there. I'll be with you. And now we're getting all this extra 
and, you know, understanding of, well, he wasn't just trying to rile them up. He First of all, he thought he was really going to go with them. He really believed he was going with them. And that was a huge part of her testimony, that he really, really wanted to go with them and told everyone to make it happen. And there was a there's a story that to me, I'm interested in how you feel about this, Sarah. It gave a lot of color to her testimony to hear her recount the telling of Trump grabbing the wheel of the vehicle and and lunging at his Secret Service agent and insisting that he's the effing president, take him to the Capitol. It also feels somewhat unnecessary in the big picture to me and has become more of the story as it's been reported out over the next couple of days than I think it really merited. I'm not, I don't really understand why they pursued this line of questioning in this hearing, if I'm being honest about it. Well, let's talk about the reporting on the hearing and the reactions to the hearing next. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. struggle with that moment. I do think it's incredibly impactful. It's the first thing I've told everyone in my life who I know is not watching the hearing, but who I want to pay attention and understand that things are coming out that we didn't understand. Because it is a very human moment to say, he wanted to be with them so badly, he lunged for the steering wheel. Like, to me, that is, it's not just color, but it's like, it's conveying, along with sort of those temper tantrums, that he was unhinged, angry, and wanted, when he said, I'm going to be with you, he meant it. Somebody prevented him from going, but he was, I think he honestly planned on walking into the count and the certification with his with his little cadre of Republican congressmen and just intimidating people. And I think it might have worked. I think his physical presence there, even Hillary Clinton talks all the time about the power of his physical presence because he's a big guy. He's charismatic. He'd be the president of the United States walking in like, God save us if that had actually happened, you know? And so I do think it's important to emphasize, like, in the most impactful way possible, like, he wanted to be there. He wanted to follow the people he knew had weapons to disrupt the certification and steal the election. Yeah, and go yell at Mike Pence himself. I think yep. that's what kept occurring to me, that he wanted to be in the room to yell Mike Pence down himself. Yeah, yeah. And I mean— that And that would have been hard. I mean, maybe Mike Pence would have stayed strong, but we don't know. We don't know. I think we spend a lot of time thinking, like, oh, co- like this could have been so much worse, but, like, it could have really been—there's a there's a universe of possibilities that we would have to contemplate if one person had done one thing different, if Pat Cipollone hadn't clearly been going out of his way to prevent this. I wish he'd come go out of his way down and talk to Liz at the committee hearings. But, you know, there's lots of testimony from— Cassidy Hutchinson, that she heard him saying, like, if you let him go, we will all go to jail. Like, people are going to get hurt yelling at Mark Meadows. Why don't you go talk to him? That's where we get the powerful moment where she says, uh, Mark Meadows said, you heard him. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. He thinks Mike Pence deserves it. And I th- here's something I, for that specific moment, though, that I want to talk to you about is that there's been a lot of reporting afterwards that she's not shared these. And I, I'm talking about the committee like it's just Liz Cheney, that the committee has not shared these testimonies with the DOJ that they didn't reach out to the Secret Service beforehand. And I thought, I wouldn't if I was her either, because every leak reduces the impact of these testimonies. If we hadn't already heard that, that he said Mike Pence deserved it, which we heard weeks ago from a leak, that would have been one of the most powerful moments of this of this hearing. And I have to believe to a certain extent they just came to a point where they're like, we're not sharing saying anything because it— I'm sure the the TV producer even is like, you can't, you have to, it has to be, it has to hit at once. If it trickles out like that, it's not going to have the same impact. That makes sense. I thought about this totally differently, uh, but came to the same conclusion. When I saw those headlines about tension between the committee and the DOJ, I thought, good, 
They're two different branches of government. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be tense. The DOJ is supposed to be independent. What would it look like if they were coordinating everything with the DOJ? Oh That's my gosh. terrible. Congress is not supposed to have the power of prosecution. The DOJ is supposed to have that, and it is supposed to be separate. I want to see reports on tension between the committee and the DOJ because that separation is meaningful and should be upheld. And I'm sorry if it doesn't, you know— fit a narrative or if it makes DOJ's life a little bit harder. Um, but but that's absolutely appropriate and necessary and consequential. If we're conducting these hearings about fundamental aspects of how our country runs and they violate those principles in the course of conducting these hearings, we got a big problem. So I I think you're right that that some of it might be the PR side. But I also think that there is something very fundamental in terms of the legal aspects of this where where that's just correct. Now, you have said that this hearing in particular changed your perspective on the entire committee and their investigation. When I started watching these hearings, I really did not believe that there would be um, criminal charges for high-level people coming out of them. I felt that it was important in terms of writing the history of this event, Congress doing its diligence, establishing a record for legislation, dealing with members of Congress who behaved in ways that violated their oaths. After this hearing, though, it is hard for me to see a world in which criminal charges aren't pressed against some very high-level people because those moments where they have been fully briefed on how dangerous the threat was and not even – it's not even like they abandoned their responsibility to respond to that, but they increased the threat through their actions deliberately – that is a different calculus to me. We're no longer talking about freedom of speech and and what constitutes incitement. We are talking about people who knew they had a weapon and pointed that weapon at the Capitol. And I mm-hmm. I just think it's a different if it's a different rodeo now. And and that for me doesn't even hinge entirely on her testimony. But what her testimony tells me and the fact that this testimony has already been shared before we are into the last primetime hearing, I think that that her testimony came out now to do a couple of things. Number one, to get back the headlines because the Supreme Court had taken them. Hmm. (laughs) Number two, to serve as a domino that would knock other dominoes down because her testimony dramatically increases the pressure on more senior people to cooperate with this investigation. And number three, I think the ending, which we haven't even talked about yet, was possibly the most important part of this hearing where Liz Cheney shows evidence of witness tampering that people are from Trump world are deliberately trying to influence these witnesses and the way they interact with this committee, that there is crime in progress. That's what Liz Cheney said, that there there were crimes then, there are crimes continuing, and we are aware of all of it. And so I strongly encourage you, as Benny Thompson always says, that to like walk through this open door to our committee if you do not want to be part of the the culmination of our work. Yeah, I mean, I've always been on this this particular train. I have always believed that this would lead to criminal prosecution from the very beginning. Because I think deep down, I just knew that Liz Cheney's not going to throw away her political career to establish a congressional record. You feel me? Like, that's not her goal. Her goal is to take back the Republican Party to permanently handicap, if not imprison, Donald Trump, which I do think she is doing, if nothing else, 
I think the likelihood that he wins the primary in 2024 is decreasing with every single hearing. There is a political cost already where people just don't want any more of this. They don't want to hear about the 2020 election, and they know that's what they're going to get if they nominate him. But I don't think that'll be good enough for her. I think it'll be more and more. And I think that, re- and I, I mean, I, and not just her. I mean, it's not like, you know, the other people, Kingsinger, Representative Raskin, who went through an incredibly horrific personal moment and then went the January 6th, you know, certification and got re-traumatized. Um, I just think, and is a constitutional law professor. So, like, I just think that there's so much passion. I thought the New York Times profile about Benny Thompson and his, like, devotion to voting rights and all this, like, this is personal to people, not just because they were there that day, but because they understand the threat to our democracy and that people need to be held responsible for their behavior. And I think, like, they still know more than we know, and we'll know more over the, you know, the coming weeks. And I think it's like every hearing is like, would you like to charge them for campaign finance fraud? Would you like to charge them for intimidating local officials? Would you like to charge them for witnessing? I have a menu of options available to you. And it's like every hearing, she just adds something else to the menu. I will say, I don't think Chairman Thompson is getting enough credit for the way he Mm -hmm. must be leading this committee behind the scenes. We talked about this a little bit uh, when we were live during the hearing. For the members of this committee to get almost no camera time in every one of these hearings is a very big deal. For them to forego making opening and closing statements at every hearing, for only one member to lead the questioning, for Liz Cheney to have had the cameras the entire time during Mm -hmm. Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, which they knew would be the most explosive— These are enormous sacrifices. Now, that sounds silly, but in Washington, D.C., where careers are made by these moments when the public is actually paying attention, uh, it it is a very big deal. And I think it must speak to Chairman Thompson's integrity and humility and persistence behind the scenes. I mean, kudos to all of these committee members for handling themselves this way. But you got to have a leader to get people to this kind of focus. And I think he must be an exceptional one. Yep, I agree. I agree. And I look forward to more leadership from him and the entire committee through the month of July. So just like a minute on the counter narrative, because we started down this path and didn't finish it. The Secret Service has like people from the Secret Service or associated with them. Who knows? Because they aren't under oath testifying. But there is... Or even putting their name on it. There is a, a media narrative that... There is dispute about whether this happened with Trump in the car grabbing the steering wheel. He says it didn't happen, but, you know, who cares what he says? He says the sky is not blue some days. Um, So there's that issue. There is a little dispute over whether Cassidy Hutchinson wrote a note that had some talking points for the president or whether Eric Hirschman actually wrote that note. He says he wrote it. So there there are detail issues with her testimony that will get fleshed out somewhere. I don't know how significant any of them are. Um, again, I don't think that scene in the car matters much when you're if you're thinking about criminal charges or legislation. The purposes of this committee, I don't think that scene in the car matters a lot, which is why it feels a little like an unforced error to me that they spent so much time there. The other thing that has been being pumped out is that her testimony is all hearsay. And Sarah, this lights me on fire. I just <laughs> I don't even know if I can talk about it. You don't even you don't think people have a really complex legalistic understanding of evidentiary standards? Can I just have a moment here and say that the past week and a half 
has to be how a lot of physicians have felt during COVID-19. Like that sense of everyone is suddenly a constitutional lawyer. I am struggling. I'm struggling with people believing they have expertise on uh, what the Supreme Court has done. And then this hearsay dimension. Look, I went to law school. I passed two bar exams. I practiced law. I conducted evidentiary hearings. If I had to sit down today and take a test on the rule against hearsay, I don't know that I could pass it. It is so complicated. complicated. There are like 27 exceptions under the federal rules of evidence to the rule against hearsay. It doesn't even apply in a congressional (laughs) hearing to start with. And the re- the purpose of the testimony matters a lot when you're assessing whether it's hearsay. I mean, I just feel like you have no idea what you're talking about. Please stop. My favorite are the people who cite the Johnny Depp Amber Heard hearing as they're like, well, we learned this about hearsay and that here. I was like, no, absolutely no good, sir. Exit this thread. See the exit sign and get out of here using that horrific example of public consumption of illegal hearing to talk about this congressional hearing. I cannot. I cannot. No. No, good sir. Not today. I know. And I hate to be ugly like that. Like, I never want to be snobby. I never want to be like, the general public can't possibly understand this. What I'm telling you is that lawyers don't understand how the rule against hearsay works. You often are doing research in real time to argue these matters because it is just hard. So that really frustrates me. Again, all to say, I hope that the committee really did its diligence around her. I cannot imagine that they didn't, given yeah. the way that they've they've conducted all of these hearings. But again, I do not think the purpose of her testimony was to establish the complete factual record here as much as it was to put pressure on other people to come forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think Liz's response is right. When you want to come swear an oath and testify before the committee, we'll talk. Until then, sit down. I think that's about right. And the risk to this person of doing this is enormous. Like, I don't need to say she's a hero. I I really, we've talked about this before, resist this idea of, like, anyone who does something good, we're going to put them on a T-shirt now. I think that's bad for us, and we should stop it. Uh, I also think it's worth acknowledging, especially when you think about the people who've been unwilling to testify, the risk that a 20 six-year-old woman takes by putting herself out there like this, she understands the people who are going to be mad at her a lot better than you or I do, you know? Well, and she set her career on fire. Like, she just set it on fire. And she does. And I just feel like I both do not want people turned into T-shirts and also the idea that we cannot praise them because they participated in the Trump administration. I also reject Mm -hmm. because that offers no space For anyone who has ever voted Republican to be convinced or persuaded, which is the name of the game in a democracy. And so I would like to leave open the door to persuasion because I do think that is still available to us. And if it's not, I'm not really sure what we're doing here in our democracy in 2022. And so the idea that like, well, that people who roll in, well, don't forget who she is or don't forget Rusty Bowers to still vote for Trump. I just think. That's a point of persuasion. Don't see that as a negative. Say, he says he'd still vote for him, and he's still testifying that this is what he did. Like, you can still not feel like I'm calling you the worst person in the world for ever voting for Trump and be persuaded that he needs to be held criminally responsible for what he did. Like, we have to leave that space for people to change their minds on him and not feel like we're saying, 
also, you're the worst person ever for voting for him. Like, it just, we have to. I'm sorry. I, I wish there was another way, but there is not. And to leave space for that, like, believe that I'm up here talking about Liz like she's my best friend. And she also put out a statement praising the Supreme Court for overturning Roe v. Wade. Both things exist, guys. Both things exist simultaneously. That's the reality. Well, the the toxicity and corruption of any party or government or organization happens when there is a decision that you are either with us or against us and there's nothing else. Yep. And so just don't let that be part of your psyche. If I could plead with America about anything, that would be it. So in our last episode, Sarah, we were talking about how we cannot just be in a, a state of despair about the legitimacy of the court, um, the corruption of the last administration, voting rights, et cetera. We have to be willing to be action-oriented. And in my mind, especially as I process what the Supreme Court continues to roll out, I mean, there's there's been a lot since the Dobbs Ugh. decision from the court. As I process what they continue to roll out, as I watch these hearings, I am doubling down on our conviction that participating as a citizen in these hearings by watching them and talking about them with other people is like action item number one as it relates to all of this. Because if our legislative branch is not willing to impose accountability on the executive and judicial branches, we don't have a path forward. The legislative branch is key to the path forward on everything else. And so that's where I am. What are you thinking about this? No, I agree. I think post Dobbs, there's been this desire in the same way there was after the 2016 election that, you know, there's these quick things you can do. There's like a lot of Instagram accounts that give you like two minutes or less things to do every day. And I understand the appeal of like checking protecting democracy off your list in the morning and not having to think about it the rest of the day. Like truly, I understand that. And I understand that these hearings don't present that opportunity that the action is to witness and that is harder because it doesn't feel like you're doing anything and you're not checking off that easy action item, calling, sending a letter. Like, I get it, and I'm not downplaying how important those things are. I think they made a huge difference on the bipartisan gun safety legislation we recently got. But I know that the hearings, when you're talking about hours and hours of watching difficult testimony, feels like a harder and bigger ask. But that's just the reality sometimes is that the asks aren't always quick and the asks aren't always as simple as sending a text message or, you know, calling your representative's office. Although I think calling your senator or representative would be a great follow-up on some of these hearings. But I do think that the, you know, longer and more difficult task, the more nuanced task of just witnessing these hearings is truly essential. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Before we leave you for the month of July, kind of, which we'll talk about in a second, we have our last outside of politics to do. If you're new to our show, we always end by talking about what's on our minds outside of politics. It's getting trickier to find something that's truly outside of politics, uh, but we're we're whole people and we're watching more than just the January 6th hearings. I finally finished Succession season three. I took the advice of people when I started watching Succession not to binge it. That became harder for me in season yeah. three because I, I really wanted season to know two. what was going on with these Season people. two, I was like, ah, forget it. I don't know what happens. Okay. So we will, we will do spoilers in this conversation since this is almost, well, it's at least six months old now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sarah, there were so many interesting character developments in season three. And I know that you went into season three very high on Shiv as, like, the best member of the Roy family. And I want to know if that held up through season three. Okay. I do not think that Shiv is the best member of the Roy family. I just don't think she's the worst. And okay. I think people okay. are harder on her because she's a female. Okay. 
And so that is what I reject. I think she, they are all pretty equally have their good sides and their downsides. Um, I really don't. I have like a moment basically across the three seasons where I got really upset with every sibling, but it's just a single moment. And then I just, I see their complexities. There's only, I feel like there's only like true moments of villainy, <laughs> like every once in a while. And the rest of the times you're like, okay, I get why she's doing that. Not that I would do it or I agree with it, but I understand it. I think that's the brilliance of these performances is that they are complex enough. There were moments with this season where I felt like Logan was just too simplistic in his evil actions that I did not enjoy, particularly the final scene. There were some parts of that with the mom in particular that didn't make sense to me. Why would she kill herself during the divorce to protect them and then sell them out on a dime? I think that that was some plot manipulation. Not mad at it, led to a great moment, but I don't think it makes a lot of sense on paper. And so, you know, again, I, I think Shiv and Tom and the way they, you know, do this dance together is great. I'm not really mad at either of them. I kind of, Tom kind of grew on me by season three, figure that one out. Because um, I, I was more consistently like, ugh, Tom's the worst than any of the siblings. But by the end, I was like, you know what, Tom, I take it back. You're out there. You're trying to, you're trying to do what's right for you too, buddy. Keep, keep living your life. I think Tom is just harder because we don't have his background to put his actions in context. He right. just looks like he is looking out for number one. And so he married for this opportunity and then he's mm-hmm. trying to manipulate his way into it the whole way. I interpreted the mom differently. I interpreted this the scene where Shiv and her mom are talking about her childhood uh, as here is this woman who really didn't want kids, really didn't want to be a mother, is on the other side, trying to be both honest about that, but not really own all of it. So I didn't interpret her as having fought for the kids in the divorce agreement as much as that just being a way that it settled um, so that Logan could win, so that Logan won and got the kids. And she had the kids' voting interests as part of that concession, but it was always, like, transactional to her, not really this, like, mother's instinct. Hmm. I See, I interpreted it as... You know, I can't imagine Logan would give that up without a fight. She had to fight for it. That doesn't strike me as something that Logan Roy would pass over willingly. And so I thought, well, she had if she if she went out of her way thinking this is the way to protect them. Now, maybe it's the difference between now they're grown and she thinks they need to protect themselves and she's tired of fighting for them. And she wants something out of it because everybody in succession wants something out of all the Everything. things. Well, and I think she was offended that they weren't supportive of this marriage. I mean, I think the way they conducted themselves at her wedding probably played into that, too. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, the mother's not very likable. Mm-hmm. Again, not Nobody many is. of them are. Right. I did think the scene in the road where Kendall finally confesses about the events at Shiv's wedding and they all sort of surround him. And I don't know if you noticed this, but, you know, in the road— Roman has his hands on Kendall's shoulders. And then in the final scene, when Ken, when Roman is on the ground, Kendall has his hands on Roman's shoulders in this very, like, mirroring of their body image. And I, it's like stuff like that. See, that's why, that's why I have my devotion to prestige television. Like, I love, like, those little moments where they visually are, are sending signals, not through the script. I just, oh, I love it so much. And there was so much of that in that final episode. And I thought all of their performances were incredibly powerful. 
especially Shiv's, like, just watching her face change, watching Kendall, like, sort of be like, of course, this is what's going to happen. This is what was going to happen the entire time. Like, I just, like, they're sort of different. And Roman, I think, being the most shocked and all of it, it just was incredibly powerful. Yeah, it was Roman's season in a lot of ways. You Mm -hmm. got a lot more of him in this season than you had in the previous two. And just seeing the arrested development of Roman because of the way that he was parented, because the way his siblings have always treated him, I thought was really good. I went down kind of a rabbit hole reading about the filming of this, of the finale, and was reading about how um, the actress who plays Shiv said they spent hours out there in the road a lot of it is improv and they just do it over and over and find different ways. And then the she said the director is so brilliant at like cherry picking them and putting them together. But she said it was over a hundred degrees that day. I know I was worried about her skin the entire every time yeah. she'd walk out in some halter tip, I was halter top, I was like, You're too pale for that. She couldn't wear sunglasses. So the sun was oh. directly in her eyes for a lot of it. She said it was physically she had on spanks under that dress. She oh. had on high heels. She couldn't move a whole lot with her body. So she was talking Talking about how she just instinctually put her hand on his head in that shot that was so beautiful of the three of them physically connected. Yeah. And she said that it felt right to her because Shiv is both taking in Kendall's confession and what's going on with the business. And she feels more responsibility towards the business because she doesn't really know how to connect in a vulnerable way with the brothers. And so it's like she's not a frozen heart. Like, she has some instinct to try to help him, but her mind and her body are also totally in this other scenario. And I just thought that came across beautifully. Like, that intention came across perfectly. I also read that Jeremy Strong, like, basically limited (laughs) what they could do at the point that he sunk into that orange dirt because it like then it's marked everything it's in the clothes and he was like I knew that but I wanted it felt like what he would do so I did it anyway and I thought that was the right choice it It was was incredibly powerful so how did you feel about Tom Tom's betrayal or self-survival I don't know whatever you want to call it they set it up so perfectly in a few episodes before that where he and Kendall are talking and Kendall's trying to flip Tom yeah. Uh, early in the season. And Tom says, you know, in, in more colorful language, I've never seen Logan lose. I mm-hmm. think you're going to lose because I've never seen Logan lose. And I thought the whole season, his willingness to be the one who went to prison, like just the whole season. Was so heartbreaking. Was him coming to the fact that everybody in this family is incapable of real love. But Logan is capable of loyalty. Mm. And so uh, it just seemed to me that Tom, and now I I don't think Logan is capable of loyalty. I think Tom has totally miscalculated here. But I understand. I thought they set up really well how he got there. And then just, I think Shiv gets the worst of it from viewers, in addition to being a woman, because she's the only one that's being shown in the context of a marriage. Yeah. And the way she behaves in her marriage is so abhorrent. <laughs> and it's just, it's it's something that I think happens but doesn't get depicted very often. And so when she's looking at Tom saying, I don't, I don't love you, like, it's just, you know, you could see where it was going. What other example of marriage has she seen? I mean, like, (laughs) what would she even know about marriage except through the lens of her father and her mother? And I just think, you know, 
I I do think they're capable of love. I do think the siblings love each other. And there was a part of me that was so sad because I wanted their, like, finally getting together. I wanted that to be what would finally get Logan. Like, I wanted to be like, that's it. That's yeah. what you guys have needed the whole time is to really be in it together. And you can, between the, your powers combined. Um, and so I was really bummed and thought it was a little, a little, Plot manipulation, the way they he came back. I don't think, again, I think it looks fine on paper, but in reality probably wouldn't have worked out that way. And I have to say, I love the show, and I'm excited for season four, but I'm exhausted by the will they, won't they sell it. Like, I'm not, I need y'all to decide. And I, maybe that's just the end of the show, I, and that's fine. Like, we don't have to stretch this out into six, seven seasons because the when you watch them all at once, you realize, like, how little happens. Oh, not much happens <laughs> at all. That's right. You know what I mean? Especially with the business. And that part is getting old. Like, I love this show, but that particular storyline is getting very old. But what is so brilliant about it is, like, that is how it is. Like, mm. when I catch up with friends from my old workplace, a lot of what's going on is the same. It's like a soap opera. It's the same stuff that was going on when I was there. Like, the the Lord. big, like, businessy aspects of it. And every single time something, a piece moves, it feels like the world is ending. It's drama, tension, what's going to happen next? Oh my gosh, this is the end of the line. And then like check back in two years later and it's like the same stuff, really. Yeah. So, some things are a little different, but not much. And it is just, I mean, life is just character development more than anything else. Yeah. A lot more character development than plot. Um, so one more quick thing. My favorite moment in this whole season was when Greg was talking with his grandpa and his grandpa says to him, you need to start taking yourself seriously. Mm. I thought that was the most brilliant moment of television that I've seen in a long time. Just the way it was set up, what came after it, how that connected with me so much and, and really seemed to just kind of slide right off Greg. Bless Greg. I just, I thought it was just a perfect sentence. Just perfect. I love Greg. I love Greg the most. Much like the rest of America, there is no betrayal or unethical behavior that Greg could engage in that would stop me from loving him. I just want to be clear on that. But I like that they started to test that a little bit in this season mm -hmm. where where they showed yep. like you don't you don't get to be in the pig pen without getting money. And I, I yep. think that that's been a brave move to make Greg not a hundred percent perfect <laughs> and and really good. So I I got the season four log line for us just to end okay. on. The sale of media conglomerate Waystar Royco to tech visionary Lucas Matson moves ever closer. The prospect of this seismic sale provokes existential angst and familial division among the Roys as they anticipate what their lives will look like once the deal is completed. A power struggle ensues as the family weighs up a future where their cultural and political weight is severely curtailed. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. More of that sale. Let's talk about the sale of Waystar Royals. <laughs> it's fine. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. And we have decided, fun announcement, we've decided we're going to do season four episode recaps on our Patreon and premium channels. Get excited, you guys. Yes. So Patreon, Apple Podcast subscriptions, if you would like to be part of that, we would love to have you join us. Plus, there's lots of other things going on there. Now, we are planning to take some time off in July. Our time off calendar is tentative because we will stick with the January 6th hearings. That's how important they are to us. 
We say no Mm -hmm. to almost everything else in July, but the January 6th hearings we are going to stick with. So next week, if all stays the same as it is now, which is a terrible assumption, uh, you will hear from (laughs) Jason Kander on Tuesday, and we'll have a a really interesting conversation about the coasts of the United States on Friday. And then we'll have a week off and then new episodes for you in the last two weeks of July. But we'll be quieter on social media and in our premium spaces as we spend a little time with our families and allow our teams to do that as well. So we really appreciate uh, kind of the gentle insistence our audience has about us taking these breaks. You You guys are very, very kind about this and supportive of Seasons of Rest. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here with us through a couple of really difficult weeks as we're coming into the month of July. We um, are just so grateful that we have the opportunity to process the hard things that life throws at us with all of you. We will continue to do that when we're back. Until then, have the best July available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. To call your senator or representative and say, you guys, you cannot come down the stairs right now. I think that's a really good place to leave it. Um, so let's go on to the last section.